Welcome to episode 10 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. Hello, everyone. Todd Houston here. Before we get to today's interview, I just wanted to mention the Patreon page that we have for the Listening Brain podcast. This podcast will always be free for you to access, but unfortunately, it isn't free to produce. So if you want to become a patron, it would be greatly appreciated. There are different levels of support available. And you also get access to bonus material and other listening brain items. So please visit patreon.com and look for the listening brain podcast. Now, let's get back to today's interview. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Carrie Spangler. Dr. Spangler has over 20 years of experience as a professional in the field of audiology and has a lifetime of personal experience living successfully with hearing loss. In November of 2019, Dr. Spangler underwent cochlear implant surgery for her left ear and continues to wear a hearing aid in her right ear. She has presented locally, nationally, and internationally on topics related to educational audiology and has been published in various textbooks and journals. She's currently employed at the Summit Educational Service Center in Ohio, where she provides educational audiology outreach services to other school districts. Her areas of interest include educational audiology for all students with hearing loss, teens and support groups, advocacy, and humanitarian audiology. Dr. Spangler also initiated the TALK, the Teaching Auditory Learning in Kids Listening and Spoken Language Preschool Program in Summit County, Ohio. She also created the HIDIT program, Hearing Impaired Teens Interacting Together, and Campus Overnight Program, both support groups for tweens and teens with hearing loss. She's a member of the Ohio Universal Newborn Hearing Screening Committee, and she currently serves as a governor-appointed audiology board member and secretary for the Ohio Speech and Hearing Professionals Board. It's my pleasure to welcome Carrie to the podcast. Hello, Carrie Spangler. Welcome to the Listening Brain Podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Houston. <laughs> Well, Dr. Spangler, it, it is it is a pleasure, and you know we've known each other for a while now, and uh, have worked together briefly <laughs> at a point at the University of Akron. We don't have to go into all that, um, but I've always admired what you 
you've done with your with your career being an educational audiologist and um, I think as I mentioned to you before we started uh, the interview is that you're the first person with a hearing loss that I've interviewed and so your story is one that is both personal and professional um, so if you don't mind start at the beginning talk about your your hearing loss um, being identified and and what that was like growing up okay well thank you yeah so I do have a definite personal and professional perspective in the field of audiology and working with children who have hearing loss. And my story pretty much started um, over 40 years ago. And uh, my parents were um, both educators who met at Kent State University. And they decided uh, after they met to start a family. And I was the firstborn child. My mom had a normal pregnancy up until the end, and at the end, um, during the birthing process, uh, there was lack of oxygen, which required an emergency delivery, and the doctors had warned my parents at that point in time that there may be some different developmental uh, issues as a result of having lack of oxygen. So my parents were pretty much first child, didn't really know what to expect and and look for, Uh, were looking at lots of different milestones for motor and and speech and um, lots of other things that were going on. And the doctors had never mentioned hearing as being a side effect of having a difficult delivery and lack of oxygen. And every appointment that my mom took me to, she would bring up that concern. She would say, I don't think she's responding to certain things. Um, Her speech isn't developing the way that we think it should. And the doctors would pretty much crumple up a piece of paper, uh, clap their hands, and I would turn and they would assure my parents that they were overprotective and I was a late bloomer and I would catch up. And so after three or four different professionals tell you that as a parent, you believe that. So it was actually because of a speech language pathologist who was talking at a local library where I had gone for a story hour. And during the story hour, they had uh, different professionals come in and talk to the parents about child development. A speech language pathologist came and talked to the different families about speech and language milestones and different red flags if you're not seeing different things at different ages. And after that talk, my mom had the opportunity to talk to this speech language pathologist who we never met again. And she said, has, you know, your daughter's hearing ever been tested? And my mom said, well, you know, we take her to the pediatrician and they said she's fine. And they looked in her ears and the speech pathologist said, you know, you actually need to have a hearing tested by an audiologist. And that was really that first 
turning point for my parents to be directed in the right way. And uh, we, sh- it, we should point out this is obviously before universal newborn hearing screening that we yes. have now. Yes. And and your parents faced, um, unfortunately, what you and I know still happens on occasion. I mean, we do have some wonderful phys- physicians out there doing great work, whether they're you know family practitioners or pediatricians or ENTs. But every now and again, we still get some of that same kind of approach to the potential of hearing loss as oh you know boys talk later than girls oh you're an overreactive mother you're a first time mother i mean all these different excuses so um unfortunately your story um uh hap- was quite common at that point in time with newborn hearing screening we've gotten a little bit away from that but it, we still hear those those frustrations sometimes from parents Yes, and as an educational audiologist, I continue to hear some of those stories uh, <laughs> at points in time. And unfortunately for, for me, um, I was almost four years old when I was initially tested for my hearing. And as we know, in being in the field of um, speech and language and hearing, that that birth to three is really that critical period of development for you know, normal speech and, and language development and hearing skills. Um, at the age of four, I was finally tested and I was um, did not pass the, that test and was fitted with my first pair of hearing aids at the age of four. I spent over 12 years in speech and language therapy, um, both private and school-based uh, therapy. And so um, no one else in my family has any history of hearing uh, difficulties or challenges. So my parents really um, wanted me to learn how to listen and talk and be part of their first language of, of English and spoken language. So we spent a lot of time um with listening therapy um, and trying to really develop those uh, skills. So um, unfortunately, well, uh, at that time, um, hearing aid technology wasn't the greatest either. So I um, did have to supplement quite a bit with um, just speech reading and and taking advantage of different cues in in my environment because um, the hearing aid technology was not able to amplify a lot of high frequency uh, information. So, but I did attend um, my neighborhood school um, throughout my elementary and middle school and high school years and uh, was active in um, sports and played volleyball and I played basketball and um, involved in in team activities, which I think growing up was really um, important for me uh, to have that built-in network of of friends uh, socially and emotionally to get through because especially during my middle school years, being the only one with hearing loss in a mainstream environment was isolating at times. And 
this is a period of your life when you want to fit in and you don't want to be different and not having an opportunity to meet anyone else that was like me was something that was definitely um, missing in my life. And and I um, went through kind of a hard time where I was mad at the world of having a hearing loss and and why why me and why is everybody else perfect and why do I have to work so much harder than everybody else has to work and why do I wear why do I have to wear hearing aids nobody else has to wear hearing aids and so went through a, a kind of an angry time um depressed time uh during middle school and um high school got to be a, a lot better I think just a normal development that uh, teenagers go through. Uh, They have a little more um, confidence in who they are. And at that point in time, I did have a solid group of of friends that included me and understood me. And um, I think that was really helpful uh, at that point in my life. I think Moving forward, just to kind of fast forward a little bit um, more, uh, one of the things, you know, my my parents were always ones that expected me to do just as well as my brother, who had normal hearing. So Mm -hmm. they never lowered their expectation for me or let me use my hearing loss as a crutch or an excuse for not doing something. And it, um, I think that was powerful for me. So when I was thinking about a career or going to college, um, it never occurred to me not to go to college. So I was just kind of on that path of I'm going to, after I graduate from high school, I need to figure out what I want to do. And at that point in time, Um, kind of going full circle to um, my employment at the University of Akron. But at that point in time, I had been going to the University of Akron for hearing tests and some private therapy and uh, different um, checkups there. And at that point in time, um, my audiologist at the university had asked me, you know, what are you thinking about doing when you go to Bowling Green? And at that point in time, I really had an, a major of undecided. I, I knew I wanted to help people. I had enrolled in the College of Health Sciences, but I really had no idea um, at that point in time, my career path. It was just, I got accepted to Bowling Green State University, and this is my next step. And my mom and I were both at that appointment and she at that time said, you know, you should think about audiology as, as a career path. And I hadn't, it hadn't even dawned on me to, to think about that. And my mom said the same thing. You know, I, I never even thought about audiology being something of a, of a career path for you. And at that point in time, it, it was probably my senior year of high school I wasn't a real good advocate or very open at that point in time about my hearing loss either. So um, to think about going into a field where I'm going to talk about this every single day to lots of different people 
uh, was honestly kind of um, scary when you weren't real open about it. Um, so I, I, at that point in my senior year, I was, you know, hiding my hearing aids, not hiding them. They were on my ears, but my hair was down, that kind of thing. And uh, so it wasn't someone to think, oh, I'm going to go into this career path and, and help someone. But I'm glad that seed was planted. And I did start looking into, um, I ended up changing my career path to, or my major to communication disorders, and uh, finished my undergrad at uh, Bowling Green State University, and then applied for grad school in audiology. And again, going kind of full circle uh, to the, I got accepted to the University of Akron and completed my um, master's degree at the University of Akron in audiology. And then later on, uh, received my doctor of audiology from the Arizona School of Health Sciences uh, through the distance programs. But um, that was kind of, I guess a click notes version of uh, how I kind of steered from a personal journey of growing up and understanding the roller coaster of emotions and communication hurdles that I had to go through to um, be successful, which really steered me into the pathway of educational audiology. And as an audiologist, you can go, you can work with beginning of life to end of life. And I just really had a passion for working with kids um, and teens who have hearing difficulties and challenges and their families and their teachers, because I knew firsthand the challenges that I had and the services that I had and I didn't have. And I wanted to make sure that students that I get to work with on a daily basis um, have opportunities to do whatever they want to do. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they have the support that they need in our dynamic classrooms in the school setting. So let me let me ask you about your your journey into audiology, because uh, was Carol Flexer she was your audiologist and professor at one time, or audiologist and then later professor? She was my audiologist mm-hmm. at a younger age, mm-hmm. and then um, she became my professor. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, and now she is a dear friend and mentor uh, in the sure. field of audiology. So she's kind of been my, um, I don't know, the person I've looked up to. I think it's important for all of us as professionals to have incredible mentors in our life. And she has mm-hmm. definitely been um, really one of those steady mentors that has um helped me along the way, who has encouraged me along the way and um, pushed me professionally along the way to to do new things and achieve new things. Right. And at the time, did did she know, she probably did know, uh, or did you know of any uh, audiologist that had hearing loss that was working in the field? 
So that's a good story as well. So uh, that kind of goes back to when I was a um, coming to the University of Akron for services, and it was um, probably I I think it was maybe the beginning like my end of my high school, beginning of my college, um, I came back for a checkup and um, Dr. Karen MacGyver Lux, um, she was a student at the University of Akron. And so she was actually one of the first individuals that I met uh, who was close to my age, who had hearing loss. And Mm -hmm. I remember... I probably wasn't the most pleasant person (laughs) at that point in time coming for an appointment. And I had not decided on that career path yet. But I remember very clearly thinking when I met her, she was paired up with me as so she was a graduate student. And she was assigned to me to, to work with me that day. And I clearly remember meeting her and thinking, wow, this beautiful, blonde hair, confident um, graduate student who is in college is studying to be an audiologist. And again, I talk about that little seed being planted. It's like watering that seed. And she um, was really the first person that I met who was I could relate to or kind of identify with who had hearing loss. And to this day, um, we kept in contact. And she, again, has been an important mentor in my life as um, going into the field of audiology. And um, I will talk about my cochlear implant journey. And she has been a, a confident in, in that journey as well to be able to talk to and, and ask questions that no one else is able to answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, so that was an important, I think, turning point in my own journey to finally meet someone else um, who had hearing loss. And it's really um, steered me professionally into one of my passions of working with middle school and teenage um students who do have hearing loss and how critical it is for us to connect others who are in the same shoes who have hearing loss with others who have hearing loss because um, no matter what kind of challenge you might be going through um, whether it's you know something personal in your own personal life or an illness or um, a job change or whatever you happen to be going through, if you talk to somebody that's in has gone through it, it really helps um, helps you. And so that's one of the things that I've done professionally is um, started several different groups and and camps that connect teams together so that they understand they're not the only one out there and they can learn from each other and they can connect to each other and they can keep connected to each other. Um, And it's really kind of a magical connection that is instant with um, how we bring these, these kids together. And so one of the groups is hit it, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you've 
done that with local school districts here and around Akron Summit. Yes. So after you finished uh, your your doctorate, mm-hmm. you're you're working as an educational audiologist. You have that passion for the educational environment and making sure children are getting the services they need. So talk to me about that transition and then how how those first groups uh, got formed. Sure. So um, after I graduated, I um, was I was lucky that the place that had done, I had done my student teaching at or my uh, practicum experience was expanding, and so I took um, one of my first jobs as an educational audiologist in the Canton area in Ohio, and um, we serve kids in multiple districts from preschool to graduation, so age three to 21. And all of the kids that I worked with uh, were pretty much mainstreamed in their local home school district. And I quickly learned um, after serving those 16 different districts that, again, like my own personal experience of being the only one uh, in a school district that I was aware of, I quickly found that these kids felt the same way, that they were the only one and and they felt really isolated. So that was one of my first, I think, projects as an educational audiologist was to form pretty much a, a leadership support network for middle school and high school kids to have the opportunity to connect with others. And that was where um, Hit It was born and it it stood for hearing impaired teens interacting together. And that started um, back in 1999 is when we started our first uh, group. And, you know, when we started the group, we only had maybe five kids attend. And I think they happen to all be from, like four of them happen to be from one district and one from another district. And I tell um, different professionals that I work with who ask me about it, it's like, well, how do you, you know, grow a program? And I think you just have to start. And if you can impact only, if only two kids show up, there's two kids that have met each other and realized that they're not the only one. So I I don't really think it's the number of kids that attend. It's just the opportunity for them to get together and realize that they're not the only one. And so we were able to pitch this idea to our different uh, directors of special education and share with them like that it is really important for transition purposes, for self-determination skills, for self-advocacy skills to teach these students what they need, what they don't know, um, and then have an opportunity to practice with others and to collaboratively brainstorm with others different barriers and solutions and um, to have a safe environment that they could talk about it. And so we were able to... um, pitched the idea and the directors were on board and we agreed that we would host quarterly meetings throughout the school year and bring these students together. And that's what we have continued to do um, over these last 20, 
some years now. <laughs> 21 years. That's great. I know. And um, I have, like I said before, I, I worked in uh, the Canton area and now I'm working in the Summit County Akron area. And the, um, the group is still active in the Canton area um, with the audiologist, the educational audiologist who worked there. And then we were able to branch out and start a new group um, where I'm at now in the Summit County area. And we have 25 to 30 kids that attend uh, each of our meetings. Um, we're actually going, going to do a COVID-19 quarantine <laughs> virtual meeting this Friday. So That's we will awesome. see how that goes um, through Zoom. And uh, But again, an opportunity for these kids to get together and talk about online learning and what are your you know, struggles with that? And how are you going to integrate back into the classroom if all of your teachers are wearing masks? And just really get them starting to think about um, their own life and how to advocate for their for their self. So even when we're home, we're trying to still keep kids connected. That's awesome. And, and the program evolves, continues to evolve because you're also working with Ohio State University with Gail Whitelaw. Yeah. Summer, sorry, summer pre- program. Yeah. So um, we, my colleague Dr. Gail Waitlaw and I, um, over the last eight years, have done a summer program for students in or high school students who are thinking about college or work when they graduate, and it's an mm-hmm. overnight camp. Uh, for these students to come to. They get to stay in the dorms at Ohio State. Um, And I think the um, greatest part about this camp is that all of our counselors who are in college or recent graduates um, from a university all have hearing loss too. So they either um, wear cochlear implants or hearing aids. um, And, you know, we don't, it doesn't matter what communication methodology um, the students utilize, but um, they all have a common thread of, of hearing challenges. And um, they come together, they stay in the dorms. We talk about safety in the dorms and waking up in the morning and foreign professors and, you know, getting a job on campus and getting, you know, connected to clubs on, on campus and, accessing the Office of Accessibility or Disability, and what if you need an interpreter? What if you need a um, caption or cart services? How do you make sure that you have all of those things? And um, so the, the, the overnight camp has been um, a huge success as well. Um, we also have a parent professional track that runs alongside of the student track. And that has been very well received. Um, I think we do a lot for families when they're birth to three or younger families where we get them connected and um, they need that support because a lot of times they're just finding out and they're trying to navigate new territory. Um, But then we kind of forget about, you know, we go about our everyday life and, and our families are forced or, you know, by just nature that they have to let go and that their, their, you know, child is now going to be independent. And it's a huge um, concern and stress for families. So 
we have found that these families really need each other um, at this part of their transition in their child's life and making sure that they're doing, you know, supporting their kids in a different way um, to ensure that they will be successful when they leave their house. Right, right. And I think that's very important that we continue to provide that support for families. I think uh, often we'll see families for, you know, when there's a big transition period, you know, going into middle school or going into high school, they may sometimes come back and ask questions and, you know, want that kind of support or going into college, you know, they're seeking out um, some kind of guidance in terms of how do I help my child at this, at this stage, at this transition. But it, you know, it would really be nice to know that families are, are going to be connected from, from birth to when that child's first identified through college, that here's, here's that whole continuum that you're going to have access to, you know, and you've been, instrumental in making sure that that really happens. Uh, if you think about what you've done in your career, you've, I mean, I know that you've been on the newborn hearing screening uh, committee task force here in Ohio. So you've, you've really tried to make sure there's that whole continuum from early identification right up through college, you know, and that's a great thing to be, uh, to be known for and to be proud of. <laughs> Yeah, well, as parents, we're, you know, your kid is always your kid. So you're always going to worry about them. You're always going to want what's best for them. And there's always going to be a transition in their life. And um, we need to be able to support our families no matter what transition they're in. And the best way to support our families is to get them connected with other families. So either from a, a you know, peer-to-peer kind of thing or as a mentor um, to other to younger families too and it really I think empowers our families to be a mentor family and it empowers our middle school and high school kids to and college students to be able to mentor younger kids and I think that builds their own confidence in ways that they didn't know needed to be built um, so I think it's really something as professionals we can, uh, we don't always think about, but it is a really important of that social emotional development and um, to be able to connect our families and our, our kids with others uh, for that peer-to-peer support. Oh, I totally agree. And uh, I remember when I was at the AG Bell Association um, many years ago, but uh, you know, we, AG Bell has the LOFT program, the Leadership Opportunities for Teens. And it was it was always very moving when we would do those uh, LOFT groups in the summer uh, because the first day when, when the teens came in and we were all sitting around and saying hello, and these kids were, would start crying because in those situations, in that, that group, you know, these kids were coming from all over the country sometimes Canada, sometimes outside the country. And it was the first time for many of those kids that they had met another person their age that wore hearing technology. And so very, very often they were the only one in their district or school, and they just had not had that opportunity to be in a room (laughs) with this many people uh, Mm -hmm. their age 
that also was in a situation that they were facing. I and mean, so that, that sense of isolation is something that, that I've always been concerned about as well, is how do we keep everyone connected and the families connected and the children, because um, we don't want them to feel that sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even if it, if they meet someone once and just realize that, oh, there's other people out there, uh, is huge for them. I mean, it's almost like a light bulb or a turning point uh, for for them. So even if it's not something that's a long-term kind of relationship, being able to realize I'm not the only one and there's others out there, I think is really important for them. If we can make it long-term, I think it's even more impactful. But um, don't, I guess you know, if you can introduce someone in in your waiting room or anything like that, just realizing that there's other people in the same boat is is important. That's very true. So catching up on your story here, you were instrumental in starting the SPEAK program in Canton. Yes. And so how many years were you at SPEAK? So um, the SPEAK program is a um, auditory, oral, listening, spoken language um, preschool program. And that started in 2005 um, in the Canton area uh, with Stark County Educational Service Center. And that program is still active and um, involved right now. So we have a teacher of the deaf who is in early childhood, who is the um, attendant or teacher of the program. And they have audiological support as well as speech and language support as well. And that program would get filled up really quickly. So it was Mm -hmm. a consortium type program where districts, if they had a student or um, a child who was in their district coming out of early intervention, whose family's goals were listening and spoken language, this would be one of the um, options on that continuum for education that they could look into. And it was a a public preschool program. Um, Jump up several years and in uh, I'm trying to think 2015 maybe um Mm -hmm. when I ended up um coming to Summit County Educational Service Center that was one of the uh, main um projects or programs that Summit County really wanted to invest in and we had several families who whose child was being transported um, quite a long distance in order to have that appropriate education for preschool that we know is really critical for foundations of kindergarten is, you know, if we can get intensive auditory um, speech and language skills into them at a preschool level, then we can get them on greater footing, more even footing with their hearing peers when they enter enter kindergarten. Um, 
So in, in 2015, we started a program in Summit County called the Talk Program, teaching auditory learning in kids. And again, um, very similar to the Speak Program, um, a teacher of the deaf um, who is certified in listening and spoken language. And um, I am there one day a week as um, doing direct services as well as audiology um, for the hearing technology. And then our speech language pathologist is um, almost done with her uh, LISL certification as well. So again, a public um, preschool continuum uh, program for our districts whose families have chosen listening and spoken language. And we are um, really grateful in our area to have um, community connections as well. Um, with you at the at the University of Akron, with Akron Children's Hospital. Um, we've been able to work a little bit with Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals. So um, to work with our um, pediatric hospitals for cochlear implant centers and hearing aid centers, it, it's important for those professionals to understand what options are available for the families that they are working with privately as well to have that public um, private connection um, and communication so that our kids can achieve uh, the best that they can achieve. Oh, I agree. And you, you seem to have the Midas touch where these you start these programs and they just they just blossom and grow and um, that's that's just phenomenal. You, as you mentioned, speak is still going strong, talk is going strong. Um, I want to take you to Vegas and we could bet on something and I'm, <laughs> I want you to place all my money on the table or whatever. I don't know. I'm not really good at winning things, so <laughs> I can start them, but you might not want me to um, take your money. <laughs> well, Carrie, it's been a wonderful chatting. Just uh, as we start to wrap up, what, what are some advice or what's some advice that you could give either that young professional who's embarking on a career um, in audiology or educational audiology, or that young person who may have a hearing loss and should they consider doing what you're doing? Wow, those are two great questions. So I think my one advice for anyone working in the field of um, whether it's speech and hearing, uh, um, teacher of the of the deaf, um, is to remember that our kids are more than their technology. So uh, I think we sometimes, especially as young professionals who are just getting out, like you're so um, ingrained, uh, like, am I doing the right test? Or am I fitting the right technology? Or is it programmed right? And all of those things are very critically important because we want to make sure that everything is fit appropriately and we're doing the right testing and we're not missing anything. But um, from a personal standpoint, I feel like we have to remember that there's a whole social emotional person there. And um, without getting them connected and um, with others, whether it's families or parents or, or the students themselves, um, we're doing a big disservice. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, we get into 
there's a lot of responsibilities that we have with paperwork and scheduling and the number of kids on your caseload and and all of those things that we you know need to um, keep in mind but if we don't do this connection I think a lot of the other pieces um, won't grow in the way that they need to grow. So if you have someone that is confident in who they are, who um, feels, you know, strong in their shoes of of having a hearing challenge, then they're going to be more likely to um, be self-determined and and achieve whatever they want to do. But we have to get them connected because it is a low incidence um, area or challenge uh, that we have. And until you're introduced, um, you might not meet anyone. So, I mean, it kind of, you know, even as an adult um, who's been in the field for a long time, um, and I I know we have, a, we've talked a, a lot already, but recently in my, my newest journey of um, deciding to get a cochlear implant um, mm-hmm. because my hearing had um, decreased. And uh, I relied on my friends, audiologists who have hearing loss and I told people to, to talk to. And um, even as a professional knowing, like I know the cochlear implant process, I work with kids with cochlear implants, but when it happens to you <laughs> and you have to make the choice for yourself, um, mm-hmm. talking to the surgeon and the audiologist, um, that is, I, I believe me, I, that was very much needed. And I had many questions for them on the more medical audiological side. But on the emotional side, they can't help me with that. Um, They haven't been through that. And to have the chance to ask someone that has already been through it, um, and even just, you know, questions like, what did you do when you came home from surgery? Or, you know, what did it sound like when, and to have that encouragement from those who have already been through it uh, was really um, foundational for me to have that peer-to-peer support. So I think that would be my one big advice for professionals um, is to always remember that Um, You have a lot of knowledge, you have a lot of expertise, you have a lot of schooling, but you don't have the personal journey. And that's when connecting with others who are in that person's shoes is really kind of that other piece of the puzzle that needs to be fit in, in order for your patient or your student to feel successful. And for your work to be successful, if they feel confident in who they are, then you as a professional, um, what you're doing with them is is going to be successful as well. Right. Great pieces of wisdom, words of advice that that we all should follow. And I just want you to know you're one of my heroes and and I, I really look up to you in so many ways. And so I appreciate you so much and i appreciate you being here today and just sharing uh, your story and 
And I, I just wish you just continued success in everything that you're doing with that Midas touch that you have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate all of your support along the way as a colleague and the field of um, speech and hearing. And you have always been um, one of those people that pushed me to that next level and uh, always a cheerleader and everything um, that I do. And I appreciate that as well. So thank you for inviting me on this um, podcast today as well. Thank you. I mentioned to Carrie there that she was one of my heroes, and that's really true. She makes me want to be a better person and a better professional. And we all need those people in our lives, and I so admire everything that she's done. And so, if you're passionate about what we're doing here with this podcast, please consider being a patron. Go over to patreon.com, find the Listening Brain podcast, and select a level that suits you. We also have some great incentives that you get when you sign up. So please think about it, and we really appreciate any support you can give. This podcast has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network, and thank you, as always, for listening.